two long readings there, uh, as Ian said to me on the way out there, I should have brought a packed lunch. Um, <laughs> I hope you're enjoying going through Lamentations as well. We're, we're really just reading through Lamentations to hear the Word of God speak just on its own, and um, you might have some questions there, it might be uh, conducive to you to go and do some further study of Lamentations, but... Um, I uh, hope you're enjoying that. My name's Graham. If you don't know me, I'm the minister here, and it's uh, great to be together this morning. Why don't we pray and ask God to speak to us as we look at uh, this letter of 1 John. Father, thank you for uh, your word today. We pray that you would indeed uh, speak to us, that we would be your people that listen, and that we would put your words into practice, as Jesus tells us to do. So, Lord, thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Amen. Well, this morning I have a little prop. I'm just going to get it over here. Here it is. Now, you can't really see it. I'm going to give you a clue. As I smell it, ooh, it smells like licorice and it's a spice. What spice might that be? Star anise. Rod Wallace, out of the gates. There we go. Well done. <laughs> Star anise. So it, you can't really see it, but um, maybe you can. It's, it looks like a little, little spider. And it's the closest thing I'm gonna, closest time I'm going to ever get to a spider, anyway. Um, but no, it's not. A, it's just a little. It's a little spice, and uh, I think you can you can put it in your mouth. But it doesn't taste very good. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I tried a clove, and I put a clove in my mouth, and that didn't taste very good at all. It was terrible. In fact, it made me feel really sick, and I'm still feeling a bit. How are you going this morning? Um, so that's linseed. It smells lovely. Would anyone like a smell? Neve, would you like a smell? I'm going to pick on you. But do that. The thing about these um, spices is that they really do infuse, don't they? They, uh, they, they. If you when you use them in food, of course, the the the, the taste goes all through the meal that you're producing. And in case of the the clove this morning, well, that really went all through me, type thing. It was just, oh, it wasn't very nice. Um, so you put this sort of spice, you grind it up, and you put it in your food, and you really you, you taste it through the whole dish, and it's really quite beautiful and of course lots of different types of spices one mouthful and with this spice and you, you you taste it now i reckon that's what god's grace is like god's undeserved favor his love for sinners that's what grace is see as we trust in jesus grace really changes everything it infuses and and permeates in our life that's what grace does that's what grace ought to do every every mouthful if you like how we think how we live uh, and of course how we've come to know God that's what grace does God's undeserved favor the central theme of the whole Bible really so as we pick up uh, the Apostle John's letter again to these these Christians uh, chapter 3 this time that's the key word the key word really is grace Grace changes everything. Grace makes the difference. Now, you can see I've got an outline there in your, in your bulletin, and I hope you've got a Bible open in front of you. Uh, I've got three headings, which I hope will help you uh, to understand where we're going this morning. Grace and works. Really, this little section in Grace and works is not really one uh, verses 1 to 10. It really starts in chapter 2, verse 28, and goes through to verse 10. Anyway, uh, grace in action, verses 11 to 23, and the spirit of grace uh, 24 to 4 verse 6. So that's where we're heading. So first of all, let's think about grace 
and works, these first sort of 10 or so verses of the passage we're looking at this morning. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 3 verse 1 is a verse that is full of grace, isn't it? It's chock-a-block. God's love is lavished on the sinner. Lavished. Now, during the week, a few of the... um, uh, We've been praying for this as well. Uh, a few of our young people, young, um, young men and their, uh, their helpers and leaders from church went on this fishing and diving camp, which Rod led. Now, one thing I hear every time when Wes comes back is the food was magnificent. The food was abounding. They never ran out of this food. And on and on it went. Trays and trays of food. Uh, isn't that right? Yes, there's a few of the guys here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's what lavished means, doesn't it? The food was lavished on them. They never, it was a bountiful. It wasn't stingy. The cooks didn't hold back. That, I think, is what lavished means. That's what God's love is for us. But what makes it so extraordinary is that God lavishes his love on us, the sinner. The sinner. It is extraordinary, isn't it? Considering how we treat God, God lavishes his love on us. Now that's grace. That's grace. Undeserved love. And he loves us so much that he's made us his children. We see that in verse 1 as well. Adopted into his family, Romans 8 says. Made just like Jesus. Righteous in his sight. That's from Colossians chapter 1. Forgiven. It's, it's through his grace that we've received forgiveness. Remember from last week, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, he speaks to the Father in our defence. Again, there's grace. And remember back to 1 John 1 uh, verse 9. I've, I've got a couple of the verses there. Or 1 John 1 verse 9 at the, at the, top, the top there. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So there's, there's grace. Undeserved love lavished on us. But then today, we read in chapter 3, these two verses. Verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's, he's been born of God. Well, hang on a minute. Does grace run out? Uh, is it limited to only once? You know, good luck with that sin thing, Graham. You're on your own from here. Is that what it's saying? What do we make of this tension from chapter 1, 8 and 9 that we must not claim to be without sin? That makes us out to be liars. But instead we must confess our sin and God is faithful and just. In his grace will forgive us of our sin. But then in chapter 3, verse 6, we're told that no one who lives in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. What do we make of that? Does does that mean I'm not born of God? Because I don't know about you. Actually, I do. I do know about you. You're a bit like me. We do sin, don't we? We We do sin. We're not perfect. We still go on sinning. So how do we resolve this tension? Between that verses in chapter 1 and chapter 3. Does God re- re- require a, a sinless perfection? Is that 
what's being asked here? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Uh, He sent Jesus for that, a sinless perfection. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So let's think about the context here. Why does John write what he writes? That's really important as we understand the Bible. Uh, what's, What's the context? Well, remember, he's writing to this uh, Christian community, and this is from last week. This Christian community, against these people, these false teachers and fake Christians, is warning the Christian community about these people who believe these things uh, up on the screen there, who've, who've left the Christian community. Remember, we call them the secessionists. That's that the, uh, the commentators use that word. Uh, they've left the church, they've gone out. They don't believe in the real Jesus, the Son of God. And they've claimed to be without sin and they claim to know God but not obey Christ. So these people continue to live ignoring God's commands. Grace has made no difference in their lives. They go on sinning. They go on sinning like they always have. They continue in sin. But the child of God doesn't do that. As they have, verse 9, chapter 3 tells us, they have God's seed. Um, They've been anointed with the Spirit, to use the words from chapter 2 from last week. And that's how you can tell someone's born of God. They have the Spirit of God. They don't keep on sinning in the same way. They're different from these secessionists who believe things like this. This, The the child of God, the, the Christian person, the person who follows Jesus, has been affected by grace. Grace has made all the difference. And so if we jump back to verse uh, chapter 3, 1 to 3, and I'll put this up for you, they, a Christian person, a, a person who's a child of God, gets the greatness of God's grace. They understand that God's love has been lavished on them. They understand the immense privilege of being called a child of God. A child of God. And they, and they know the hope of being made like Christ at his appearing, as verse 3 says. So knowing this, it means they live differently. Grace changes how we live. We know we're not saved by works. We know we're not saved by what we do. We can never do enough. But by God's grace, and so in response, we live for him in obedience, in love for one another, as chapter 2 said last week. In fact, that's the Spirit's work in us. And we'll get back to that in a few moments' time. But here's the reality. If you've been a Christian for a little while or just a short time, you've probably worked this one out. The, the Christian life is a bit of a struggle at times. I read Romans 7 for homework if you want to. Jot that down and remember that passage. Our desire is to do good, but we fall short. And, and sometimes we struggle. That, that struggle is a long struggle. We're not talking a couple of weeks. We might even be talking a lot longer than that even. We keep on sinning in the same way. We keep asking for forgiveness and we keep asking God for help, but we keep falling short. And it's a struggle. Our desire is to do good, but we struggle with it. That's not what's being referred to here in chapter 3. The desire of these secessionists that, 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 that John warns them against, their desire is it's not to obey Jesus at all. It's not to do good. It's not a struggle. They've given up the struggle. But this experience of struggling with sin, and that's the experience of many believers, is why John writes these great words of assurance in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
great words of assurance to the Christian person. But friends, if we do give in to sin, when we give up the struggle, when we say, when we say, when we say Jesus is no longer my Lord, my boss, <laughs> my mighty, mighty king, when we live in open disobedience to God, when we reject his grace, then clearly we have not been born of God. We do not have his spirit, we're not saved. But again, that's not who John's writing to. John's writing to those who have the spirit, who have been born of God, who know his grace, who know Christ's love, who obey his word. That's who he's writing to. And he gives that great assurance that when we stuff up, God's forgiveness is there and we ought to go to him for that. And so John really picks up from verse 11 onwards where he left off in chapter 2 last week that we should love one another. Clearly it's a key theme and it's clearly something that it's clearly something these secessionists who've left the church, these fake Christians did not do. They didn't love each other. So John says, because we have the spirit, we've got to love each other. We've got to love each other. Let's put grace into action. And that's the second point on our outline there. This is a message you've heard from the beginning. That's the second time John said this, actually. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, what does this love look like? Well, we see it doesn't look like Cain, who killed his brother Abel. That's a fairly obvious statement, I would have thought, but there you go. It doesn't look like that. Uh, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, love is action. It's not just words. Look at verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, notice the focus on the local church here, um, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love, uh, not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. I do about, give or take, four or five weddings a year, um, and they're, they're always pretty good fun. Yesterday we did one at Burrowang and uh, it was lovely. The cows came out. It was wonderful. No one had put blood and bone on the paddock next door, so that always helps. Um, it, it was a lovely time. Beautiful people being beautiful and loving each other. Um, it, was, it was really cool. Megan, it wasn't a good fun, wasn't it? Yeah, there you go. So Megan was helping as usual. Um, they're pretty loved up occasions, as you'd expect. You know, they're, they're, they're good. But I often like to challenge the couple and the congregation to think about what real love is. Real love, I explain, is not a naive Hollywood romanticism that gets dispelled the moment the toilet seat gets left up. That's my classic example. Um, or, putting it in a church setting, real love is not, doesn't get dispelled when someone forgets to clean up properly after morning tea. That's not real love, is it? Uh, nor is it resigned and cynical. Well, is it, love is as long as it lasts. That's not real love. Nor is it an affection that you float in and out of. That's not real love. Um, nor is real love, well, I only love if my needs are met. That's not real love at all. Real love, I like to illustrate, and I'm going to give it to you as well, um, wait for it, is drone bee love, as in bees that sting you and so forth. Uh, stay with me, okay, you're, you're right. Um, now, I know there's a lot of people in this Christian community who know a lot more about bees than I do. Uh, you don't need to come up at the end and tell me how wrong I am. That's not necessary. I don't, I don't care that much. The illustration works either way. All right? So this is the illustration I like to give. And I do apologise if I've given this before. I don't think I have. 
I looked at my notes and couldn't find it, so anyway, I'm going to give it to you now. Um, but it does help us to understand what love is and what love isn't. All right? Anyway, let me explain. So real love is not drone bee love. So the drone bee cannot forage for nectar, cannot collect pollen, he cannot defend the hive, he cannot make beeswax, he cannot sting you. The drone's only task is to mate with the queen bee. Now, some of you are saying, that's not a bad job, is it? I'll take that job. Um, although, after he mates with the queen bee, he dies. So it's not all good. <laughs> this, is not queen, this is not love, clearly. Uh, neither is real love queen bee love. Now, the queen bee, uh, experts tell me, is an activist. <laughs> uh, busy laying egg after egg after egg. Bu- busy doing things to prosper the work, but with no time for anyone or any relationships unless they serve her purposes. Now that's not love either, is it? That's not real love. No, no, true love, the sort of love that God describes here as we read in 1 John chapter 3, is the desire which leads to action for the good of another, even at cost to yourself. Now that, I think, is real love. The desire that leads to action for the good of another, even at cost to yourself. Cast our eyes back to John 3, uh, 1 John 3, verse 16. It says, uh, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's the sort of love we're called to put into action. That's the sort of love that follows of Jesus ought to demonstrate to each other. John explains love again over in chapter 4, verses 9, uh, 9 and 10 and we'll look more about this next week. Um, I don't want to steal Dennis's thunder here, but anyway, I won't, Dennis, it's all right. But let's just read it. It says, 4, 9 and 10, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, when we, what we read here in 3, verse 16 and 4, uh, 9 and 10, we read here of God's commitment to us and the sort of love that perseveres irrespective of circumstances. That's love. Love that keeps going, irrespective of circumstances. The passage tells us that Jesus was sent for our good, to forgive us for the way we treat God, to set us an example for the way we should treat each other. God demonstrates true love, a grace in action, true commitment to our good by sending Jesus to die for us. Remember, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And in so doing, he shows us what love is like. True love is committed, selfless, it's serving despite the situation. It's not stingy, it doesn't run out, it's generous. And so material possessions, well, they don't get in the way of true love. Do you see that? That's what John goes on uh, to say in chapter 3. Real, real love is not just words, it's action and truth. That's the sort of love that we're called to as children of God. So, we are to be like the worker bee. The worker bee. So the worker bee is the smallest of the bees, but it's the one who's selfless and humble. The workers gather food for the hive, they clean the hive, they help rear the young bees, they protect the hive... They bring water to the hive, always looking after the interests of others, serving and working, helping, protecting joyfully. 
Well, that might be a bit of a push there, but anyway. Um, and they will lay down their life for the hive. Because we all know what happens when a bee stings you. It dies. That's grace in action. Be like the worker bee. It's love. That's what it looks like, John writes, when the Spirit lives in us. The Spirit of grace lives in us. Have a look at verse 23, chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. God's Spirit is a gift. When we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, that gift is given to us. God in us, working in us. So it's just like his saving work. This gift is not earned. The Spirit is a gift of grace. Well, this is the Spirit, uh, that 4 verse 2 acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh and is from God. Uh, that's a, 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 he's having a go at the secessionists there who didn't believe that. Uh, that is, the Spirit acknowledges who Jesus is, acknowledges that Jesus is who he said he is. That's the Spirit acknowledges uh, who, Jesus, uh, who the Spirit is. God's Spirit in us points us to Jesus. As Jesus said to his disciples on that night before he died, the Last Supper, John 16, the Spirit convicts us of our sin. He guides us into the truth of his word. He's our helper. He helps us in obedience. The Spirit working in us helps us to understand God's word. The Spirit helps us to pray. The Spirit helps us to love. That's the Spirit's work in us. But the Apostle warns his readers right at the end here, that, and, and God warns us today that there are spirits, false prophets, fake Christians who are not of God. Spirits that are not from God. They are anti-Jesus, they're anti-Christ. Watch out for them. They're going to come. Don't believe them. In fact, test them out. That's why we always have our Bibles open. We should when a preacher goes up to preach. You've got to make sure that I'm saying what the Word of God is saying. We test them out. Don't just believe me because I'm up here in a position of authority. It's very important. We test them out. So those spirits, the Apostle John says, well, they speak from a worldly point of view. They don't speak from God. And then he says, but you, remember, but you, I'm speaking to these Christians who have the Spirit of God, and God's Spirit reminds us today, we are, this Spirit is from God. We are from God, with, with, this is verse 4, and have overcome them, these false spirits, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you, God's Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. It's a good spot to finish. I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to pray that, and, and give thanks to God for God's grace. His grace that infuses and permeates like a, like a spice. Uh, let's give thanks that his grace is lavished on us. And let's pray that we lavish his grace on others and ask God to, for his spirit to fill us with his grace. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to close with the words of the grace, which will be up on the screen. And um, I might encourage you to pray that prayer with me at the end. Will you do that with me? And we pray first and then we'll say these words together. Father, we, um, 
Uh, we thank you for your grace, your mercy that has been lavished on us. As we read from Lamentations 3, your compassions that are new every morning. We thank you, Lord God, that this grace infuses and permeates our lives. We pray today that we would accept this grace in our lives and that we would indeed live as you, Lord God, as, our, as Jesus, as our King, our Lord. We give thanks for the grace that's lavished on us and we pray, Lord, that we would lavish your grace on others. And we ask, God, for your spirit to indwell in us, to infuse in our lives and so that we, um, Lord, we would indeed be filled with your grace. Let's say these words together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Excellent. I forgot to say at the start that we might have a time of questions or questions.